Glad you're here this morning. Pray with me. And then we're going to look in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Our Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that, uh, Lord, you have loved us in Christ. And uh, Father, you've given us your Holy Spirit to open our understanding, to help us understand your word. And so I pray this morning that you would help us as we uh, study, that, uh, Lord, you would reveal truth to us and uh, give us an assurance of who you are and what you've done on our behalf, and that we might worship you in a a right manner. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, This morning, Deuteronomy 7, let me just give you a reminder of where we are. We're following the children of Israel. We are looking at their examples of how they lived and how they responded to God and uh, trying to learn from it so we don't repeat the same mistakes. Find that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that admonishment to do that. And uh, I don't know about you, I see myself all the time when I read about the children of Israel and how that they, they, they knew God, they knew He was there, but it, they just had a hard time trusting Him. They had a hard time living by faith. And uh, so do I, and I suspect that you do as well. Where they are now in Deuteronomy, they are right next to the promised land, fixing to go in and... Moses, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. So Moses is giving them these sermons, what some commentators call sermons. Moses is recapping what God has told them, and he's recapping, he recapped the Ten Commandments, he's recapping some of the sacrificial things. He's just giving them warnings and admonition about when they go into the land, they're going into a pagan society, and they need to be very careful about that uh, they don't get infected by the paganism. And we've talked before about the difference between people just being sinful and people being idolatrous. And that's what we're going to find in chapter 7 this morning, is that there is, there is a, a difference. Israel was sinful. I'm sinful, you're sinful. Uh, but the people of the land that they were going into, they were idolatrous. And God views that sin differently so read with me, if you would, um, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 1 through 5 and chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Gigzerites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites, Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriage with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. I've reminded you a couple of times, uh, several times, that God told Abraham some 400 years prior to this, maybe now 440 years prior, 400 Something in that that his his people, uh, his descendants would be in Egypt for 400 years because the iniquity of these people were not yet full. Okay, now I want you to look 
Turn a page or two, if you're looking in your Bible, uh, and look in Deuteronomy 9, and we're going to read verse 3 through 5. Okay, Deuteronomy 9, verse 3 through 5. And here's what he says about this. We've talked about how, how bad it is to be destructive toward the people, that, that going in and just destroying these people and killing them. And is that right of God? Is that, is that equitable for God to do that and to order them to do that? So here's what, here's what he says. Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the, or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we need to remember that the Lord brings judgment upon these nations because of their wickedness. And he, not because of the, of the righteousness uh, or the, or the, uh, of the Israeli people, but because of the wickedness. So he uses one nation to judge another. You find that throughout the Old Testament. You read the prophets, you find that God said he uses the Babylonians. He uses the Babylonians as an instrument of his judgment against the nation of Israel. And then he uses Egypt as an instrument of his judgment. And then he judges Egypt. And one of the things he does to the Assyrians, uh, whom he also used against the northern kingdom as an instrument of his judgment, is he brought a judgment against them because of their viciousness. Not, not only he used them to, to, to chastise the people of Israel, but they did it in a very vicious way. They were a very vicious, very cruel uh, people. They would take a little village or city, they call them cities, they'd take a city and they would cut off the heads of the men and pile them in a pile by the gate as a reminder to everyone else, uh, if, you don't, if you don't listen to us, this is what happens to you. We can draw a lot of parallels in our world, in our modern time of warfare and all the things they're doing, but uh, can't match that viciousness. You can get close, probably, if you read a little history about uh, maybe the Vietnam War and some other things, uh, but it's really, really interesting. So God's saying, I want to drive them out because of their wickedness. He gave them 400 years to repent, and they did not repent, uh, and they were idolaters and wicked. You know, it's interesting when he read in verse 7, he said, you know, if you let your sons intermarry and you take their daughters, uh, and it, it's going to create it's going to create confusion. It's going to create uh, idolatry. And remember what happened to Solomon? Solomon, the wisest man, the Lord said that, the wisest man ever. And yet you read that he took those 300 wives and 600 concubines or however he was, and they turned his heart away from the Lord. He built them houses and he built them temples, and they turned his heart away from the Lord. The wisest man at all. So if that can happen to Solomon, it dead sure can happen to me, and it can happen 
to, to you as well. So we need to be very, very conscientious that we, we follow the Lord. Um, when we read this uh, about the nation of Israel, it wasn't because of their righteousness. And then we read it wasn't because of their anything. And we read that beginning in verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Now, what's holy mean? He just said it wasn't because of their righteousness. So it's not holy. It doesn't mean necessarily righteousness. When we're speaking of God, it does. Holy means God's righteousness. But the word holy, and how you, it's, it means you're set apart. Okay, so it, you're set apart. Uh, sometimes you go to church and sometimes you call... At that, you call this the sanctuary, or you call the, the main auditorium the sanctuary. But really, it's, it's not. It's just set apart. This is set apart for God's use. So it's not holy in the sense that, but holy means you're set apart. You and I who know Christ, we're saints. That doesn't mean we have saintly behavior. <laughs> so, I wish it did, but it doesn't. But, but it, it means that we're, we're saints of God. We're set apart through Christ for God. And, and so this is what it means for these people. These were a holy people. God set them apart. Now, why did he do it and how did he do it? And it's not because of their righteousness that he did it. So continue to read with me again. Let's start over verse 6. For you're a holy people of the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. Now, I, I want to interrupt the reading and say, with the Jewish people came into the land and occupied the land, and as time went on, and you come to the time of Christ, they, they believed they were special above all other people. They believed the Gentiles were dogs. They were, the Gentiles were fodder for the fires of hell, and they didn't believe they were quite human. And so, you know, they didn't believe that they were like them. So they took a verse like this, and, and they took their place knowing God, the, the God who had established their nation, and they became very proud. And, but the Lord, if, they, if, if we read this, they had no reason to other than the depravity of their heart. Um, so I want to continue on in verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people. When God chose them, when God elected the nation of Israel, you know how many people there were? Abraham and Sarah, and not even a child. They didn't have a child at that time. They, so it was Abraham and Sarah and his wife Sarah. And, and God said, I'm going to make of you a nation to be my people. And their purpose was, I'm jumping forward in the left, their purpose was to, to, spread the, to spread the good news of the one true God to the nations. So that was going to be their purpose. So God created them for a purpose. God created the nation. And not because they were mightier, not because they were more righteous, not because they were more holy, not because there was anything inherent within them. But you know, our problem is, as fallen people, having a fallen nature, is that we, I'm talking about now, not Israel, but we tend to think, there was something inherent within us that God brought us to salvation in Christ. Would you agree with that? 
That's our default thinking. Our default thinking is that I'm better than them out there who are still asleep this morning uh, and have no care for the things of God. I'm better than them, so that's why the Lord brought me to salvation and turned me away from an unsaved life to bringing me to know Him and to follow Him. So there's something within me. He looked forward in time, and He saw something within me, and He elected me to salvation because of something within me. That is not biblical. But that's our default thinking. Okay, will you agree with that? Some, uh, we sense that. I'm reading an interesting book. Now, I'm reading a biography of a man who was part of the, of the Wales, Wales, England, Wales Revival, Welsh Revival in the 1800s. But for six years... Uh, every time he was ordained to the Church of England, and which is Anglican, what we know as Anglican, and they were they they preached the gospel during that time, and they were well, well I won't go into details, but anyway, every, everywhere he went to preach, when they had assigned him to a, to a church in a little community town, the people would lock him out. They wouldn't they wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't let him preach, and, and for he he got he got rejected in these pastorates that he was assigned to because he preached the gospel. He preached that um, God is sovereign and God elects people to salvation. It's not your goodness, but he elects people to salvation. And they wouldn't listen to him. So the people had control of the churches and they'd just lock him out. And so he couldn't, so he's, for six years, he didn't, he, he, he had had a church, but he couldn't preach. And he went to another one, and they did the same thing. They did the same thing. So finally, he goes, and he becomes a part of the Calvinistic Methodist. Now, we think of Methodists today, and, you know, I don't know, what you, I don't know if you know about their doctrine or their teaching or whatever, but I, that's not the point here. Calvinistic Methodists then were as conservative as we independent Baptists are, so maybe more so. They believed in the sovereignty of God. They believed in election to salvation. I believe in election to salvation. God is sovereign. He chose you before the foundation of the world. But just like this, not because of anything within you. It's, if there was anything within us, it would be to our glory. You understand that? But it, if, if there's nothing within me, that he chose me according to the good pleasure of his will. So who glorious to that to? The fact that I would follow him is to his glory. That's to God's glory. It's to Christ's glory and Christ died to God's glory. So that's what the Bible teaches. And when we realize that, I keep saying this to you, I feel like I say it regularly, but it sets us free to be who we are. It sets us free from performance. I don't have to perform my, my religion. I don't have to perform my Christianity. I, I don't have to meet an arbitrary standard for God to be pleased with me. And so what I'm saying to you is that when I sin, I don't feel like I've lost my salvation or lost the love of God because I realize the love of God bestowed upon me was never conditioned upon my behavior it was conditioned upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God drew me to that. You read John chapter 6 and it says that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So I, I didn't come on my own. The Spirit of God drew me. 
So instead of making me proud and saying that I'm better than all those people out there who are still asleep this morning and care nothing for the things of God, instead of making me proud, what it does, it humbles me thinking, why would God save me? Because I keep sinning. I don't want to, but I, but I do. Sometimes I want to, I guess I'll have to admit. But I, I keep sinning. And why would he save me? He saved me for his glory, for his own purposes, for his own grace. And he did the same thing for you if you know Christ this morning as your Savior. So they were elect. We read verse 8. Read verse 7 again. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you're more numbered than any other people. For you, the least of all people, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he swore to your fathers. He made a covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. So God made a covenant with Abraham. And, and the covenant covered several areas. And I want to cover that with you this morning. Uh, there, there's a, a lot of sentiment in our world today about the Jewish people. And, and, and sometimes the, uh, in, in history, at the time of Christ, but the Jewish people brought it upon themselves. Now, I'm not saying there are today, so I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we have the same issues. We deal with the same problem about distrusting in Christ. So I want to deal with that for just a moment. What we've just read here is an illustration of New Testament salvation by grace through faith. And I, I hope I've made that plain. God didn't, God, let me just repeat it. God didn't choose us for anything within us. He chose us to glorify himself and to glorify Christ. We are God's gift to Christ. You read that in the New Testament. We're God's gift to Christ. Your salvation is God's gift to Christ. <clears throat> so, and you know, <clears throat> if we have the least bit of pride, we can go into 1 Corinthians and said, God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So that's what he says about us. We're just foolish enough to trust him. And uh, we're foolish enough to follow him when he speaks to us by his spirit. And so <clears throat> it confounds the wise of our world. They can't understand why we're doing. So here's the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and in, your, in the notes I'm going to send you, I'm going to give you the, the verses for it. We're not going to read them this morning. But I'm going to just tell you, in this covenant, God promised several things to Abraham. Uh, he, he, he personally promised they'd make Abraham's name great that Abraham would have numerous physical descendants, stars of the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And he said that he'd be the father of multiple nations. And he's saying this to a man who has no children. And he's saying it to a man who's going to go 25 more years before he will have the son of promise. Now, he's going to take his uh, Sarah's handmaid and have Ishmael, but he's not the son of promise. So he's going to go 25 more years before the son of promise. So God, God made him that covenant. He made promises regarding Israel's land. And he gave him boundaries for the land. Israel's not living in those boundaries today. In fact, Israel has very seldom ever lived. They, I don't know they've ever lived in those boundaries. 
totally. But he gave them a promise having to do with the land. Um, he gave it more than one occasion. The book of Genesis, it repeated Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm, I'll give you the verses when we send those to you. Um, and then another provision of the Abrahamic covenant is that all the families of the world would be blessed through the physical line of Abraham. That's Genesis 12.3. And this is a reference to Christ. Uh, all the families of the world would be blessed through Abraham. You and I are blessed this morning because of the covenant God made to Abraham. So, because Abraham was the father of faith, uh, the father of the nation of Israel, so we're blessed be, because of that. I want you to look, if you would, in Romans 9 and verse 1 through 5. I don't think I gave you that, David, so let me just, let me just read it. Or did I give you that? Romans 9, 1 through 5. All right. Uh, just listen or read it yourself if you turn there, Romans 9, 1 through 5. And it's speaking about the importance of the nation of Israel and their purpose, what their purpose was. So Paul said, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continued grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So Paul is saying, my heart's broken because the Jewish people have rejected Christ and they're not saved. And they, they're not a people of faith. So that's what he's saying. And then he describes these people, his countrymen according to the flesh. Verse 4 is a description of these people who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption. They're adopted by God. The glory, they saw the glory of God. The covenants, all the covenants were given to them. The giving of the law, the service of God. That's all the, uh, all, all the sacrificial system service to God and to uh, serve before him. Uh, and the promises, he gave them promises uh, about their future. And then he said, of whom are the fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. Uh, we, could, we could name the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all the minor prophets, we could name them. Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Okay. So here's why God said to the nation of Israel, said, to, I didn't choose you because you were anything special. I chose you to bless the world. And here's where the blessing would come from. God gave them these positions and authority and privileges and promises and covenants that they might proclaim him to the nations. Now think about it. God had prepared the world for the coming of Christ. Um, God, I, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, I use it here a lot. You're probably tired of hearing it. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. In the fullness of time. When, in, in the fullness of time literally means when God had prepared the world. He sends forth His Son. How did He prepare it? Okay, He brought forth the nation of Israel to have a written description, to have a revelation of the one true God, a written revelation. Psalm 90 says you, you have a revelation of the, of the creation that testifies to a, a supreme being, that testifies to God. But this is a written revelation. But here's this little nation of Israel, 
and, and the world is around them, all these nations who are greater than mightier them, how are they going to hear about it? And so what God does is that he, he allows them to go into the Babylonian captivity, and since they can't go to the temple and worship, they develop a synagogue system. So now the Jews are scattered, and they have these synagogue systems where ten or more men, they come together, men, their wives, children, and they meet together for prayer. And they read whatever scripture they have, they read scripture and pray. And, and they pray maybe next year in Jerusalem. You know, so they, and so they, they're scattered around, and they have these synagogue systems that are developed during the Babylonian captivity. And then he brings the Greek domination of that area, and the Greek domination develops a, a common language of uh, scholarship and even trade language. So at, as time goes on, so now uh, the, the scripture, the Jewish scripture, Hebrew scripture is translated into Greek, and other people can read it. Scholars can read it. So it's being made known to other people, and, and ar- around that Middle Eastern area, not just in Jerusalem, but around the, up into Asia, down into Egypt, uh, down into Africa. And so now it's being made known. And now the Romans come. And if you remember, you go back into Daniel chapter 7, chapter 9. These are the nations that God prophesied long before they came into existence. These are the nations that he, that he said are going to be established. So the Romans come along and they conquer the Greeks and they bring the Pax Romania, which means that there is peace in, in all the nations. There's peace because they, they keep the peace by the power of their authority and, uh, and, the, and they develop roads and they develop the freedom to travel. So now the people had freedom to travel. They could go from Egypt up into Asia. They could go from over in the middle in the far east into the Middle East and then go up into Italy. They could, they could travel. Now they had the freedom to travel. So now the word of God gets spread and it's in a language that people can read and the word of God becomes known to the known world. God prepared the world for the coming of Christ. This was the purpose of the nation of Israel. And by the way, that's our purpose today. God saved you, he saved me, that we might make him known. That we might live to his glory in the world, that that the world would have a testimony to the glory of God and to the salvation offered through his son, Jesus Christ. So this was their purpose. We don't have time this morning, but you read the rest of Romans 9, and you find out that only a very small seed believed that in the nation of Israel. The rest of them were blinded. They were blinded. You read that, and when you read the Gospels, you see they were blinded. They see Christ physically. standing. They know of all the miracles that he did, but they will not receive him. They're blinded. Okay, but there's a seed. There's always a seed. You remember... Uh, I, is it Isaiah the prophet? And he said, "Lord, I'm, he had that confrontation with the with the uh, prophets of Baal, and and now he's depressed. You remember that? Jezebel said, "I'm going to kill you before the sun goes down." And so he tells God, "I'm the only one left. I'm the only one." I've said that to God before, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Was it Elijah? Okay, Elijah, and I'm the only one left. And God said, oh, get over it. That's what he said. That's basically what he said. He said, There's, I got 7,000. 
who haven't bowed the knee. And you know what? The, the, the number 7,000 means an infinite number. So seven, seven the number of God, 1,000. Mean, you know, they didn't get a bigger number than 1,000. So they didn't, Hebrew didn't use a bigger number because God just saying, you're, you're, not such, you're not that special. So get up and get going. And that's what, that's what he says to us. We're not that special. Uh, I, I'll use you if you're willing, but if, if you're not, I'll pass over you and use somebody else. And so you'll go to heaven with the smell of fire on your clothing. And, uh, but because you're going to go to heaven because of Christ, but the smell of fire means all your works are going to get burned up because you live for yourself. Maybe we need to take a moment and repent. <laughs> I'm speaking to myself. So this was Israel's role in history, okay? Isaiah 42.6 says this. It gives their intended role. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring the prisoners from the prison. So he's speaking about Christ, but he's speaking about the nation, and Christ in the nation. And Isaiah 49, verse 6, it's speaking directly of Jesus Christ, said, Indeed he, that's God, indeed he says, It is too small, is it, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So what's God's purpose for the nation of Israel? To bring forth all the things we read in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, to bring forth all this knowledge of God and the knowledge of His Son, the Savior, and it would go to the nations. When you come into Revelation and you read that before the throne that there are people of every culture, every nation, every tribe, and they're giving glory to God. That's God's intention. It happens in Revelation. It happens in the end time, but it's not happening yet because the people of God were unfaithful and we're not as faithful as we should be either. And so it's not, it's not happening yet. That's why we give to missions. That's why we pray for them and support missionaries that they would do this. So now I'm speaking about the nation of Israel. So here, again, we're not going verse by verse through this chapter, but I'm going to just now speak about the nation of Israel. So they had these covenant, Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant. The Palestinian covenant had to do with the land. I mentioned they gave Abraham a covenant concerning the land. But now these people are going to go into the land, and the Palestinian covenant with them is that when you go into this land, if you serve me, I will bless you. I will bless the land. It'll bring forth crops. Uh, your flocks will do good. Your gardens will do good. Your children will do good. I will physically bless you if you physically serve me in this land. And if you don't, I will remove you from the land. You know, God said, I'll withhold the rain. Uh, I, I'll with, if you don't serve me, I'll withhold the rain. I will withhold my hand of blessing upon the land itself. Okay, I say to you from time to time, we get greeting cards in the mail and they have these promises that are made to the nation of Israel concerning the land. And they're not promises to us. We don't, we don't live under the Palestinian covenant. We've been promised this. 
that Christ will never leave us, never forsake us. The land may completely burn up. It's just, it's just about burned up here, isn't it? So the, the land may be destroyed by earthquakes. The land may be de- destroyed by tsunamis. The land, it, we, we may be overrun by the Russians or overrun by uh, the immigrants who are coming. We, there's no promises for us concerning the land. None. But there was for the nation of Israel. God has said to them, I, I, my covenant with you, if you will be faithful to me, I will bless you. Do you remember, I think I mentioned this last week. you remember that Jesus said then, uh, he gave this parable about this vineyard owner turned it over to some people to lease it, and he expected a return from them leasing the vineyard. He wanted part of the harvest, and they wouldn't give it to him. He sent his servant, they beat his servant, he sends another one, they beat him. He sends his son, and they kill the son. That's exactly what Jesus is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's saying, this is what you did. This is how you have re- rejected me. So they've broken the Palestinian covenant. I put in the notes. You read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we'll get there eventually, verse 1 through 10, that it amplifies this land covenant in those verses and he said the people, if, if they disobeyed, God would scatter them in the nations. Well, it happened. Uh, and then he said, and, and the next verse, verse 3 and 4 there, we don't have time to read them, but he eventually restored the nation. Uh, in verse 5, when the nations restored, that obey him perfectly, and God will cause them to prosper. Okay, we know historically that there's been two dispersions. One is the Babylonian Captivity, and the second was in, after they rejected Christ, when the Romans in 70 A.D. destroyed the city, and in 135 A.D. the Romans destroyed the nation. And so there hasn't been a nation of Israel until 1917. I mentioned this last week. The Balfour Declaration after World War One or during World War One was given that the Jews could return to Palestine; that they could have a homeland there. 1948, they declared themselves a nation. So for 2,000 years, there wasn't, almost 2,000 years, there wasn't a nation. God scattered them among the nations. But now he's bringing them back. Again, that's Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 through 10. And, and, but they're, they're back in the land, but they're not worshiping God. Now, there's some religious Jews. They worship God. They don't worship Christ. Christ is not their Savior. He's not their Messiah. And so they're, in, they're still in unbelief. They're what you read, and the rest of Romans 9 is that they're blinded. There is a seed. By that seed, I meant there's some Jewish people today who believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, but the nation doesn't. So there's a difference. That's what Romans 9 makes the difference. If it's different in Paul's time, it's different today. There's a seed of people, but not the nation. And so the nation is blinded. Okay, but God is saying that when you come forward, and you come forward from where we're studying here until the time of the kings, and when David comes to the throne, God makes a covenant with David called the Divinic Covenant. And here's the Divinic Covenant. You find it in 2 Samuel 7. We're not going to read it this morning. But it amplifies this seed concept of the Abrahamic Covenant. The seed concept... The promises to David in this passage are very significant. God said that your lineage would never 
not be upon the throne, that the line of David would set upon the throne and rule as king forever. Now, it hasn't in history, so it's going to happen again. So it's going to take place. And when is it going to take place? Um, We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. Okay? You there with me? He, Jesus, is who is speaking about, will be great, will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So, Israel's future, okay? Israel's future, if you read, I don't know if you remember in here, we studied Romans 9, 10, and 11. I think that's, those are key chapters of understanding prophecy, of understanding the Bible, of understanding grace, understanding what we've been talking about this morning. When you get to chapter 11, we read what Paul had to say in verse 25 and 26. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Okay. Blindness happened to Israel, the time of Christ, and as the church developed, you read the book of Acts, the gospel goes to the world, okay? The Jews rejected it. They rejected Jesus. We, we are aware of that. So now the gospel goes to the world, and the gospel has gone around the world, and, and it's had tremendous impact and uh, uh, tremendous significance and, and, and people from all tribes, all nations have been saved and, and so it's tremendous. But the Jews are still, they're back in the land but they're lost, they're blinded. But they're going to be brought to faith. Now how's that going to happen? And this, we got, we got six or seven minutes for all the prophecy of the Bible. Okay, so. <laughs> The details of how it's going to happen. Blindness in part, what it says in Romans, blindness in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I've heard preachers say, you know what that means? It means that one day when the very last Gentile is saved, maybe your grandchild this morning, saved this morning in their Bible class, or, and, and then God's plan comes to fruitation concerning the Gentiles, and now Christ, the tribulation is going to start. And, and, uh, and so... I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know exactly what the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. I think it's when God... Okay, remember where we've been? God gave these nations 400 years for repentance. Now, under the new covenant, God's given the world 2,000 years for repentance. But there comes an end. And, uh, And the end is the tribulation. The end is when the tribulation comes... And, uh, and then the seven-year tribulation, and then Christ himself comes to rule and reign for a thousand years on the throne of David. Okay, so how do we know, how do we know this? Again, in your notes that I'll send you, I put some passages of Scripture. But the details of this deliverance, so all Israel will be saved. And let, me, let me clarify, so I, I want to cover all the bases. I don't know if you're listening to, television preachers, but there's a very, very well-known television preacher that believes all of Israel is saved today because they're Israel. 
that all the Jews, they're just saved. They get a free pass to heaven because they're Israel. He's on television regularly and has a great following, but it's not biblical. Paul said there's, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, bond or free, rich or poor. Everybody saved the same. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. So today there are Jewish people who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but the nation is not. But here in Romans he's saying that one day the nation will be. But how will they be saved? Not because they have Jewish blood within them, but it will be because by there, there's such an overwhelming acknowledgement of Christ that they'll be known nationally as people who are saved. But they're going to get saved one by one, just like we did. One by one, but their own heart and repentance and turning toward Christ, one by one. But they will do it as a nation. How does that take place? When the tribulation starts, the tribulation is known scripturally as the, the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay, now who's Jacob? Jacob is Israel. Okay? Israel is their covenant name. Jacob is their, is, is their unfaithful name. Okay, so ja- it's Jacob's trouble. What is Jacob's trouble? That God's going to bring such a persecution upon the nation of Israel, half of them are going to be killed in this seven-year tribulation time, but they're going to come to a realization that Jesus is their Messiah, and they're going to believe in him, and they're going to trust in him. And that's what it's designed to do. It's designed finally to bring the nation to faith. And so when Jesus then at the end of that tribulation period, and and we read in Revelation, I think it's 19, and Christ comes and on his thigh is uh, written King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and and, and we come with him, we who have been raptured out and under the new covenant, and we're coming with him, and he's coming to fight the battle for the nation of Israel against the unbelieving nations who are gathered in the area of Jerusalem, and he will des- destroy them and put them down, and then he will rule and reign for a thousand years. And what, what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to show to all of history and all of mankind whether they're in hell then or whether they're in heaven, uh, but to show them that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. He, he's always been God. He's always ruled. He gave the world a chance of repentance and they never would repent, the, the ones who never would repent. And so he will fulfill his word. The key verse in, I, I put Zechariah chapter 8 through chapter 14, Revelation chapter 9 through chapter 19, uh, you can read them, but the key verse in the Old Testament is Zechariah 12.10, and we read this. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And then, when does this occur? At the end of the tribulation prophesied in Daniel Chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. The Apostle John uh, references event in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, when he says this, Behold, he, Christ, is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him. Okay, so now go back thinking about our text. God said to the nation of Israel, 
in Deuteronomy as they're preparing to go into the land, and they're going to possess cities they did not build, vineyards they did not plant, wells they did not dig, houses that they did not build. They're going to possess this land. It's going to be given to them. And God's saying, I'm not doing it because of who you are. I'm doing it because I'm God, and I chose to set my love upon you that you might glorify me. And that's exactly what grace is in the New Testament. That's a picture of grace in the New Testament. God chooses us for his glory. And he chooses us not based upon anything we will ever do or have ever done. In fact, we have we, I, I, we dealt with this a couple of weeks ago. We, we, we were the enemies of God before we were saved. Romans 5, 8. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And again... That's not demeaning to us. It's liberation for us. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to worry God's going to reject me because I have the weakness of the flesh that causes me to sin. I, I'm not going to worry because something I did when I was a teenager and it flashed back in my mind and I still remember those words and I still feel the emotion of that. I don't have to worry that God's going to reject me for that. He's forgiven me for that. You understand what I'm saying? When we, when we grasp that salvation is a free gift of God based upon His elective purposes, not upon our worth, we're set free to respond to Him in love. I'm grateful. I'm, I don't have to feel guilty all the time. If I, if, if, if I, if I had to have a performance salvation, and I'll be very honest with you, when I got saved... At 25 years old, when I got saved, I got saved out of fear. I feared the judgment of God. I understood that God is sovereign and, and holy and righteous, and I wasn't. I understood that. I knew I was a sinner. My generation taught that in public school. Okay, I mean, they called us sinners. They called us a lot of things in public school that you can't do today. But you know, I understood I was a sinner and I got saved out of fear because I didn't understand what we've been talking about this morning. But today, I have a better understanding. I don't understand it fully. I have a better understanding. And now, I, I rejoice in the love of God. I rejoice in the love of God. I remember years ago, some of you may remember uh, Frank Johnson saying that he, he would say something along this order. This is not a direct quote. But he would say, I believe I'm a special child of God. And I remember when I first heard him say that, I thought, well, that's kind of arrogant. How, how do you say that? But you know what, today, I believe that. I believe he was. I believe I am. I believe you are. He set his love upon us. Not because of anything we did or what we would do. He set his love upon us for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we can't mess it up. Now, we can mess up our life, but we can't mess up that love. He may, he may chasten us. And you know what he's chasing against upon us? He's not going to drive us out of the land of the USA. He's not, going to, he's not going to drive us out of the land. But what we do is that in our sinfulness, we disrupt the intimacy of the spirit relationship we have with him. We lose our joy. We lose our peace. 
We, we lose the fullness of the Spirit within us. We still have the Spirit, but we don't have the fullness of the Spirit. We don't, we don't have the identity of the Spirit of the, of, of the Lord saying to us when we read His Word, I care about you. I love you. I'm faithful to you. I will be faithful to you. I've, I've lost that time to time. I, you know, it's just varying degrees. You don't lose the Spirit. You don't lose yourself. We're in the Father's hand. No one can pluck us from the Father's hand. But we sure didn't lose our joy. So, so we need to remember, okay, we are His servants. We are uh, blessed when we obey Him. We're blessed when He trusts Him. Not to get His blessing, but because we have His blessing. So I keep thinking I'm repeating the same thing, trying to find different words to say that. So here's about the nation of Israel. Are, they, are the Jews special in the sight of God? They had a special purpose, but they don't get a special forgiveness. They're not special in that sense. They had a special purpose, and they still have a purpose during that millennial kingdom. Christ is going to rule on the throne of David through the nation of Israel to the nations. And we're going to be a part of that as well. We're the bride of Christ. We're going to be a part of that. They're in the nation of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Uh, which position's better? They're not better. They're different. All of it comes through uh, the graciousness of God. Okay, pray with me and we'll go to church. Our Father, we thank you that, uh, Lord, you chose to give us salvation. You elected us to grace, uh, not, Father, because we're worthy, but simply because you chose to. And we're grateful. Lord, let us remember it. Let us set it free to love you and to serve you, to follow you with a gratefulness that surpasses anything we'd get if we earned it. So, Father, let us never be proud, humble ourselves before you and and say, thanks be to God uh, that I have salvation in Christ. So please help us as we uh, go about our daily lives that, Lord, we have this uh, great worship of you in our heart because of what you've done, not of what we've done. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you. See you in church.